All right, man, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you know, this, this, is a, this is just a unique place. Can't say how much uh, I appreciate you having me, Brother Jeff. And, uh, and can't tell you how much I appreciate you all having me. It is uh, it's thrilling for me to be here. I, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sentimental type dude, you know. I mean, I, I'm constantly saying, hey, honey, you know what we did last week this time? You know, and, or, you know what we were doing a year ago this time? And, you know what, every time I come back to New Philadelphia First Baptist Church in March, I just can't get my brain off of the fact that it was in March of 1858 that some believers in New Hagerstown, and if you go to New Hagerstown today, you ought to do that sometime. There ain't nothing left. <laughs> And it's a group of believers there that had a vision for planting this church. And here we are tonight, 156 years later. And, and we're talking about people going to places like Pakistan. And, and every Sunday, you guys get the truth of the Word of God just like you did 156 years ago. I, I, I can tell you this, I don't know of a church that's 156 years old that are doing what y'all are doing. This is something, y'all. Yeah. It really is, man. And the demons have found us. <laughs> they always get into the sound system, man. Uh, but man, I, I just, you know, I want to say that to you, that don't ever take for granted where God has planted you in this place. This is a, a great move of God and has been so for, for a good period of time. And I appreciate so much the fact that, you know, Pastor Jeff said this the other night, who in the world in the 21st century asked people to come out four nights in a row? And, and you know why they don't do that? It's not because the pastors are lazy. It's because nobody comes. <laughs> and so, hey, thanks for coming. Uh, I wouldn't have anybody yell at if you guys didn't come. Um, but I, I appreciate the fact that this is a place where you know, I can come and just whatever the Spirit of God says, it goes. There's liberty here. And, uh, and I can tell you, that it's not that way everywhere, y'all. And... Uh, Bless you for your desire to, to know the truth. And, and boy, this week, man, talking about personal holiness. And again, that's not really relevant in the 21st century either. And, uh, and yet, man, I, I really believe that God has been meeting with us and praying like crazy that, uh, that God will do that once again tonight. But we've been looking at top, the, at least my top six reasons that personal holiness has gotten so jacked up in these last days. And we saw on Sunday morning that, that first reason, and, and again, I think this is, this is basically it. We've lost sight of God's holiness. And in preparation, that's what I was hoping and praying that somehow God would do for us this week, is as we just constantly just keep going to this book, that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ as He truly is high and lifted up, and in seeing Him for who He is, we, like Isaiah, like Job, we begin to see ourselves for who we really are and do business with God and our life could be forever changed. We looked last night at the fact that another reason it's, we struggle in this area of personal holiness is we've missed the point of salvation. Thirdly, we've forgotten the call of separation. Fourthly, we haven't comprehended the magnitude of the Spirit's sealing. And now tonight, we'll just talk about one. And this is the reason. We have a skewed view 
of ourselves. We have a skewed view of ourselves. And to just begin tonight and to just get our minds thinking in that vein, I'd like to just talk a little bit about Adam's fall because I think that there's some things that we can glean from it. First of all, we have a propensity to dishonesty. We have a difficult time being honest. We have a difficult time being honest about where we are, and we have a difficult time being honest about how we got there. And it might be of help for you to understand that we got our problem with dishonesty very honestly. We got it from our great, 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 I don't know how many greats we need to throw on there, grandfather, Adam. And we can go back to the garden, and there's some very key things that we can begin to glean about ourselves. And that is, y'all, that we, number one, we are hiders. We would rather hide than admit where we are. And I I just want to, again, just mention this very briefly as we get rolling tonight, that God comes down into the garden after the man's sin, just like he had every other day. Okay, every other day, man, he's coming and he's walking in the garden with his creation. In an intimate relationship, he's revealing himself to them. They communicate, man. It's, it's an incredible thing. And he has, man has sinned on this day. And so again, in verses 7 and 8 of Genesis chapter 3, God comes down into that garden. Do, do we have verses 7 and 8? Do we have verse 9? Okay, how about that? I know verse 9, okay? This is what it says, just listen. God comes down into that garden, and he says to Adam, Adam, where are you? Where art thou? Now, is there anybody in the room tonight that thinks that God didn't know where Adam was? Where did he go? You know what God was actually looking for, y'all? He knew where he was. He was wanting to give Adam the opportunity to admit where he was. He wanted him to be able to take ownership and to be able to say, Oh God, I've sinned. Father, I've moved away from you. I've separated myself from you, God. I did the very thing that you told me not to do but listen rather than come clean with God about where he was you know where he is he's hiding he's sewn fig leaves together to mask his problem and listen y'all I I don't want to sound negative because again I I think the absolute world of you But as long as we're here seeking to come into the presence of God and let him reveal some things to us, I just got to say, y'all, where Adam was and what Adam was doing sounds a whole lot like Christians in the 21st century. Most of them are away from God and they're trying to use fig leaves to mask their problems. We've all got our little fig leaf. We try to hide behind the fig leaf of our job, our career, our position, our schedule. The fig leaf of our possessions, our bank account, our financial portfolio. The fig leaf of our wife and our kids, their personality, our wit, our humor, our, our introvertedness, our extrovertedness our demeanor, drugs, alcohol, our hobby, the internet. (laughs) Okay, you get the idea? There's a lot of fig leaves that we try to use to mask our problem. But not only are we hiders, but secondly, we are blame shifters. 
we shift the blame so that we don't have to admit how we got where we are. Your, your pastor has been bringing you through the, the book of Romans, and I'm sure you saw in, in Romans chapter 2, in verse 15, where it talks about people who excuse themselves by accusing other people. Okay, Where'd that come from? Well, in, do, do we have anything in Genesis there? Okay. In, in verse 12 of Genesis chapter 3, and again, this is so familiar. I, just, I, I think it's important for us to just see as human beings how we got where we are. But in, in verse 12 of Genesis chapter 3, when, when God says, hey, where are you? And he says, hey, did you eat from the tree, by the way? In verse 12, it says, and the man said, The woman thou gavest me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And, and, you know, when you first hear that, it kind of sounds like Adam is, is blaming his wife. But if you listen real carefully to what he says, he says, The woman thou gavest me, she gave me to eat. You know who he's blaming, y'all? For his problems? God. The woman you gave me, and I'm telling you, man, not much has changed in the last 6,000 years. Because we want to find somebody to blame. You know, my old man, okay, I know it, he was an idiot. Okay, forgive him, and let's go. Okay, your mama, I don't know what she was. Okay, forgive her, and let's go. And, you know, if God would have given me what he gave me, and we can go on and on and on with all these ways that we try to shift the blame so we don't have to own our junk. We're hiders and we're blame shifters by nature. And so when we come into an environment like this and we're saying, God... Would you reveal things to me? We've got to be real careful because we're not really good at it. And so let's just have that on our radar. Let's glean that from Adam's fall. Something else I want us to glean from is from the book of Proverbs. Do we have Proverbs? All right. Ta-da! And what we're going to see as we begin to just look tonight at the book of Proverbs, is that Solomon is trying to get us to see that the way that we see our lives compared to the way that God sees them are typically two different things. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 2, it says, all the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes. And basically what he's saying here is all of us have this this uncanny ability to rationalize and justify just about anything. All the ways of a man are right in his own eyes, but here's this contrast that you're constantly seeing through the book of Proverbs. But the Lord weigheth the spirits. And listen, there is a spirit in all of us. We've either got a a, a spirit of pride that causes us to be stiff and unyielding, or there is a spirit of of humility. And we talked about this on Sunday. Psalm 51 and verse 17. God says that if you have a broken and contrite spirit, he can do some incredible things. He won't turn his back on that in proverbs 21 and verse 2 every way of a man is right and you know what this next phrase it we it was in the last verse it's in this verse it's just about every verse we're going to look at every way of a man is right in his own eyes but the lord pondereth the hearts and sometimes there's a difference between what i see with my eyes and what the lord sees in my heart 
Proverbs 12 and verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. And, and here's the idea of what he's saying here, is that a wise person listens to counsel, but a fool doesn't do that because a fool says, I'm good. I, I, don't, I don't need anybody to tell me anything. Yeah, I'll come worship with y'all, but you, you ain't, yeah, man, I'm good. Proverbs 30 and verse 12. There's a generation that are pure. Here it is. In their own eyes. And yet, is not washed from their filthiness. And, and, and listen, the book of Proverbs is pretty old, y'all. It was going on back then. I got to just tell you, man. Things have waxed worse and worse, and it's really going on now. A lot of people, a lot of Christians, I'm telling you, y'all, just go through life, I'm good. And the things that get rationalized and justified, I believe what we talked about last night, the Spirit of God is so grieved Proverbs 20, verse 6, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. You know, you listen to people talk, and uh, listen, to, to, if you just listen to what they're saying, you can think, wow, their walk with God is absolutely incredible and yet god is saying yeah everybody talks a big game but man when i just start looking for someone who is faithful faithful to this book faithful to my call on their life yeah who can find that guy proverbs 26 and verse 12 Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? In other words, his own opinion of himself? There's more hope of a fool than him. Because when you get to the place to where your opinion of yourself is so wonderful, you can't hear anything. You, you, because you're good. I think you get the idea. Proverbs 16, 25. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man. And we can, we can get ourselves living in that world of deception that we've created for ourselves. And again, just keep telling ourselves that we're good. But listen, the end thereof are the ways of death. And, and so it's a very important thing for us tonight to consider. Am I right in my own eyes? Or have I created for myself a world of self-deception? And evidently, we're very prone to that because God tells us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, be not deceived. Okay, I think God started the, this little thing because we're, we have this propensity to be deceived about this. So hey, don't let you be, yourself be deceived about this. God's not mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. And if you sow to the, your flesh, you are going to reap corruption. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And listen, if we are at a place in our life where I'm good, and yet we live sowing to the flesh, we live in a world of self-deception. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3, he says, For if a man think himself to be something when he ain't, that's in the Greek, <laughs> he deceiveth himself. And of course, we all know James chapter 1 verse 22. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Here it is again. Deceiving your own Selves. And again, I, I, I just felt like in this conference where we are genuinely seeking to say, God, we want you. 
to so work in our lives that at the end of this conference, we have gotten ourselves back on the, as we saw in Isaiah 35, on the highway of holiness. And there's no exit ramps for the rest of my life on that highway. God, I want you to do that in me. And I, I just feel like if, if we're really genuinely going to do that, we, we've got to deal with the fact that self-deception could cause us to miss what it is that God really wants to do in our lives this week. Now, let, let me just share with you some steps to making an honest evaluation of myself. How do I do that? Okay, well, number one, recognize that the Lord fully knows what is really true about me. Okay, and I know that everybody in this room already knows that. Okay, but I brought it up because I wanted every one of us to just be able to hear Jesus say it himself. And he does in Luke chapter 16 and verse 15. And he said unto them, and what I'd love for all of us to do is just hear it right from his lips speaking to us. Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts. And once again, I'm not trying to be an idiot, but I'm just saying there's a, a generation, and we are that generation, has found all kinds of ways to justify ourselves, and we ain't fooling nobody but ourselves, and maybe the people around us. Proverbs 5:21, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. We've been looking at all these verses that are saying in in his own eyes, in his own eyes, in his own eyes. Okay, well now we're talking about the eyes of the Lord. And our ways are before him and he pondereth all of our goings. He, He sees it. And though we try to deceive ourselves and others, we do not deceive him. Okay, number two. We must or I must always be willing to hear counsel and receive instruction. Proverbs 19.20 Hear counsel and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise, listen to this, in thy latter end. And from a prophetic standpoint, y'all, listen. We need to run this thing out that we're doing this week in this conference. Run it to the latter end. You know where this this whole thing of our life ends up? Us standing before the Lord Jesus Christ at his judgment seat. And our life, we're going to give an account for what we did with what he gave us in our latter end. And so he says, listen, think about the latter end and what you want that to be. And hear counsel and receive instruction. In our context this week, that that counsel and instruction is the proclamation of the Word of God. Proverbs 1 and verse 5, a wise man will hear. He, He doesn't turn a deaf ear and will increase learning. He doesn't think, I got that. Proverbs 9, verse 9, give instruction to a wise man, he'll be yet wiser, teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Okay, so if we have this this problem with being deceived and hiding and blame shifting and, and thinking, okay, yeah, I'm good, how could it be tonight that we could actually see, not through our own eyes, but how could it be that we could know tonight that we're actually seeing what the Lord sees? How could we actually see our life the way that He sees it? And you know, what would be so awesome is at the, the end of the service tonight for each of us to be able to you know, go back into one of the baptismal rooms back here and have a little private meeting with Jesus 
And Jesus take about 30 minutes to just look us in the eye and say, okay, here's what you're doing right. And here's where you're blowing it big time. And just have him lay that out, okay? Anybody think that's going to happen? Probably not. Okay, but how could it be that real to us? To where we could actually see through the Lord's eyes. And this is the third step in making an honest evaluation of myself. I must realize that what my spouse, my parents, and or those that are closest to me would say about me would be strikingly similar to what the Lord would say. Listen, y'all. The people that we live with, we don't pull the wool over their eyes at all. In the same way that we don't pull the wool over our Lord's eyes. And listen, a great way for us to cut through our junk and, and, and the, the, the self-deception glasses that we want to look at our lives through, uh, maybe a good way for us to do some introspection together tonight is to look at our lives through the eyes of our spouse, a roommate, parents, what would they actually say about my life? And so what I want to do tonight, in the remaining time, is I want to just talk to you about basic Christianity. Okay? I'm not talking about, you know, what our brother's doing and going to Pakistan. Okay, so how many of you are really willing to do that? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at James and going, dude, I need to fall at your feet, man. You're awesome. I'm not talking about doing something crazy like that. I'm just talking about... <laughs> I, I, listen, what I want us to do tonight is just get unbelievably... You know, we're talking about personal holiness. Okay, it, we could also call it practical holiness. Because if it ain't practical, it probably ain't holy. Okay, so let, let's just do this, y'all. Let's just... Look at what God tells us is just basic Christianity. What just comes with being saved. And let's just see, where are we really tonight? And so I've entitled this little section, A Spiritual Gut Check on Basic Christianity Through the Eyes of My Spouse, Parents, and or Those Closest to Me. Okay, so number one, would your spouse or... Your parents, your co-workers, maybe a roommate. Would they say that you are someone who is passionately seeking God? And again, do you understand that that is just basic Christianity? Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. We spent a little bit of time in those verses years ago. But he says this, and when he gets to the practical part of this book, he says, okay, now listen. If you then be risen with Christ, okay, in the doctrinal part of the book, back in chapter 2 in verse 12, he's taught us about this thing of what it is to be risen with Christ. And, and it comes down like this. Our salvation is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel. But listen, the gospel becomes salvation to us when we call on the name of the Lord, the Spirit of God places us in Christ and we are placed into his death and we are placed into his burial. Listen. And the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead is the power that he uses to raise us to new life in Christ. He's already covered that in chapter 2 and verse 12. That's what saved you. Okay, now, if you then be risen with Christ, here's what you do now. For the rest of your life, don't seek the stuff that was in the system that almost sent you to hell. For the rest of your life, 
because you've been raised by the same power that raised Christ from the dead, man. For the rest of your life, seek the things above. We can talk about that forever, but listen, just here, for the rest of your life, seek the Lord. Make that the pursuit of your life, not all the junk in the system. What would your spouse say? What would your parents say about how you seek God? This is not super saint stuff. Basic Christianity. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him. If thou shalt seek, if thou seek him with all of your heart and all of your soul, I'm asking you tonight, don't look through your own eyes. Would the people that you live with and are closest to, would they look at your life and say, that is a, my husband, my wife, my kid. They seek the Lord with all of their heart and soul. They reflect what... The psalmist said in Psalm 63, verses 1 and 2, Oh God, you're my God. Early or earnestly will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longs for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. That's what it looks like to seek the Lord with all of your heart. There's a, a thirsting in your soul. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. He says, As the heart or the deer panteth after the water brooks, Oh God, that's what my soul feels like. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Oh God, I want to come into your presence. Listen, y'all, I, I, I don't know how to say this any clearer. That's what basic Christianity is now. If you then be risen with Christ, okay, stop seeking the stuff in the system and start seeking the Lord with all of your heart. Listen, that's... What, what, what do you think holiness looks like, Pastor Mark? I think it looks like people unplugged from the system and seeking God with all their heart and soul. Number two, would your spouse or your parents, co-workers, you get the idea, say that you're someone who truly loves the Lord? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Okay, very foundational verse. Because what happens is we find in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 22, in verse 36, that the scribes and Pharisees have been trying to find a way to shut Jesus up and to shut him down, and he shuts them down. They got nothing. And so they go, hmm, we ain't smart enough. We better find us a lawyer. Somebody that can think fast on their feet. And so they get a lawyer to go to try to trip him up. And so here it is. Master, bring this to the bottom line for us. Just what is it that God's really looking for? And it's not a legitimate question. He's trying to trip him up. But Jesus answers it very legitimately. And what he says, he quotes this. Okay, here it is. What God wants is he wants you to love him with all your heart and all of your soul, all your might. I ask you tonight, do you, do you love him like that? And, and I, yeah, I, I know it. How do you measure that? I, I could say that about my wife, and I know what that feels like, but I, I, I don't love my wife the same way I love God. You know what I'm saying? How do you measure that? You know how you measure it, y'all? By your love for his book. 
Yeah, I think you guys know this. Look for David, the man after God's own heart. Look for how he expressed his love for the Lord, his God. You're going to be hard-pressed to find it. But in Psalm 119 alone, 11 times, oh God, how I love your book. Oh God, how I love your book. Because that book is our lifeline to the Father. That's how we connect. Listen, please, y'all, hear counsel. If you think you love God and you don't love that book, you don't love God. Okay. Would the people in your house say, that's a no-brainer. Oh, yeah, it's so obvious that they love God. They love that book. Job said in Job 23, second part of verse 12, he he said, "I, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food would the people that you live with, would they say, oh, yeah, that's the appetite that you have for the Word of God? Jeremiah, you know this stuff, man. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. Thy word was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I'm called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Would, would the people that you live with say, oh, you, you, ought, to, you ought to see how this book Rejoices their heart. In Isaiah 66, in verse 2, in the middle of the verse, and all of those things have been, saith the Lord, but to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. And again, does that describe the love that you have for God as you love Him through the pages of this book? Listen, y'all, we are kidding ourselves about living a life of holiness before a holy God without seeking Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and without loving Him through the pages of this book. Number three, would your spouse or your parents or your co-workers say that you've truly put off the old you, the old man you were before you were saved? In Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, But now ye also put off all these, anger, Wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lying, lie not one to another. And he says, listen, now that you're saved, now that you've been risen with Christ, put off all of that stuff. Now that Christ sits on the throne of your life. Because you see, before we got risen with Christ, self used to sit on that throne. And self wanted what self wanted, man. And when we didn't get what we wanted, it started a progression that he lays out for us here in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. It begins with anger. And then next, it ascends up to wrath. And wrath is when anger has become explosive. And then next is malice and this is a desire to cause injury or harm and not necessarily physical harm often often verbal harm and then the next is is blasphemy it's blasphemy to speak against god but it's also blasphemy to speak against his children and filthy communication things start coming out of your mouth that sound a whole lot like what a lost person would say. Cursing and threatening and 
and then it moves into lying. And, and, and what's happened here is that your, your anger has gotten to such a, a high level and, and you're just so cheesed off that you've got to lie about how you got there because you're so worked up and you look at what actually happened and what you're saying it is ain't nothing like it was for real. And so... I ask you tonight, husbands, would your wife say, my husband has put off the old man, if that's what it looked like? Mm -mm. Wives, would your husband say, man, if that's, if that's what it looks like, if that's what the old man is characterized by, yeah. Young people, would your parents say, oh, it's obvious that my kid has put off the old man because I, I don't see any of that. And then number four, would your spouse, parents, co-workers say that you've truly put on the things that Christ demonstrated toward you when he made you? A new you? You see, and he contrasts this, this list here in verses 8 and 9. Okay, that was the old you. And so what he says is now that we've been saved, people who've been called to holiness put off all of that stuff that used to characterize your life when self sat on the throne. Okay, but now put on all of these things. And he begins to go into a different list beginning in verses 12 through 14 and he's talking about putting on the new man the way that the book of galatians says it is put on christ because you know what this list is it's everything that christ had on him when he made all of us a new man or a woman it was expressed through bowels of mercies and his kindness and his humbleness of mind and meekness and long-suffering and forbearance and forgiveness and above all of these things, charity. Okay, I asked you just a minute ago what your, those closest to you, as they looked at that list of the old man, what would they say? Is that characteristic of your life? Or now that we've come to this list, are they thinking about you right now? Oh, now that list, beginning in verse 12 there, now that's the one that characterizes you. Yeah, wow, man, that sounds exactly like my wife, my husband, my kid, my parents. They're always, they're always merciful. Yeah, man. Just like Christ was merciful to them, that, they just demonstrate that. And kind, man, they just always treat me with kindness and humility. They never treat me in a, from a proud and arrogant standpoint. They're, they're meek. They're never explosive. They're long-suffering, always patient with me. They, you know, they don't have a quick temper. Not constantly yelling, forbearing. Yeah, man, they know that I'm not perfect, but boy, are they patient with my imperfections. Forgiving, yeah, man, they, they forgive just like Christ forgave them. Charity, wow, man. They, they, they extend the same selfless, self-sacrificing love that Christ demonstrated. I ask you. You, you see the, the, the two lists there. Which one are you living in? What characterizes your life? Listen, not in this room. Because, hey, we all got it cleaned up in here. I'm asking you tonight, what would your spouse say? What would your parents say? 
what would your kids say about what your life demonstrates? Listen, I, have, I, have I mentioned tonight that this is, we're, we're not talking about Christianity on steroids. If you've been risen with Christ, this is what characterizes life now. We've put off all of the junk. And we put on everything that Christ had on him when he made us new creatures in Christ. Okay, number five. Would your spouse or your parents, co-workers, say that your life consistently gives evidence that you're filled with and walking in the Spirit? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Okay, and he goes on from there to tell us what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, 21st century. Wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This is the will of God. This is what is basic for those of us that know Christ. Galatians 5.16 says it another way. This I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, how do you know when you're filled with the Spirit? How do you know when you're walking in the Spirit? It's, it's not rocket science. It's not ethereal and mystical. It's Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. That's what it is. This is how it manifests itself when you're walking in the Spirit, when you're filled with the Spirit of the living God. There's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness, and faith, and meekness, and temperance. Again, I, I, I'm asking you tonight. With the people closest to you, if they're really going to be honest, say, yeah, that characterize." would they say it characterizes you? Okay, and, and I, I, I didn't quite know how to do this, but I felt like, okay, we've had the shotgun on scatter for a little while here. Just, again, talking about basic Christianity. Okay, young people, hang with me for just a minute. Wives, hang with me for just a minute. Do not punch your husband or anything like that for just a moment, because you'll get your turn here in just a second. Let me just talk to you, the, the husbands in the room. I, I don't want to embarrass you. I really don't, okay? I don't know how else for us to really do what we need to do this week and get honest before a holy God than to talk about what, it, what holiness looks like in real life. Husbands, would your wife say that you love her even as Christ loved the church? It, it, you know the verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Now, it'd be great if God would have just ended it there because all of us could rationalize it and justify it and say, sure, I love her. But he didn't stop there. It's a comma. Okay, here's the kind of love that he's talking about. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. <laughs> And he says, that's the way, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about you love her. You, you love her the way that Christ loved, and just so that we wouldn't miss the point, he says, and the way that he did it is he gave himself for it. The way that Christ loved us is he saw a need that we have, which meant that we weren't perfect, and it probably might mean that you didn't marry someone that is perfect who has some needs of her own. And what we needed is we needed a Savior. A Savior who would 
give himself for us and die. And what he did is he sacrificed himself to meet our need. And so I ask you, husbands, tonight, would your wife say that that is the kind of love that you have for her? Do you have a love for her that's actually demonstrated by you giving yourself as a sacrifice to meet her needs? Would would your wife say, yes, my husband puts my needs before his own needs? Or would your wife say, I don't think that my husband has any thought whatsoever for my needs? How about this? Would your wife say, yeah, ma'am, I understand that my husband is only a man, but I know that he loves me the way that Christ loved the church. Would your wife be able to say to your children, now now listen, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, just look at your daddy. And if you really, really want to understand the love that he has for you, just watch how your daddy loves me. And you'll get it. Okay, well, let, I don't think we're getting practical enough. Men, would your wife say this? Yeah, my, 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 my husband is a busy man, but I can tell you this, he always has time for me. And my husband always takes the time to listen to me. I believe that he cares about me. I I believe he he cares about what I think. You know, it's hard for women to get there, fellas, and and believing that we're, we're loving her the way that Christ loved the church if we don't have time for her. And, and time to actually listen to her. And, and let me just call out another verse real quick. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. He says, Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them, that is your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. I would say that he might take our responsibilities as husbands pretty seriously. And he says, listen, fellas, dwell with your wife. Do whatever you've got to do to make her secure. Settle, man. Know her. You know everything about your job. You know where to put your tree stand. (laughs) You, You know all of the the stats in sports. We, we know all kinds of stuff about cars. And I've been explaining things right there that I know nothing about. <laughs> but do you know your wife? Do you know what trips are out? You know already what she's going to be thinking and feeling. Did we lose the light? I'm the man in the dark. (laughs) Would your wife say that you honor her? Oh, listen. Do you understand, fellas, that she sees how we honor all of the other women in the church? And we see how kind we are to all. And get in the car. Where'd, where'd that guy go? <laughs> and if I'm in the light. Mm. She's the weaker vessel and she needs to be honored. And, and listen. You get to do the, this thing of life that he calls a grace. You get to do it together. Would your wife say, yeah, 
That's my life right there, man. My, my husband loves me the way that Christ loved the church, and he makes me so secure. And he knows me, he honors me, and man, life is a grace. It's not perfect. We've got struggles. But man, when it comes to the man in my life, he's doing it the way that Christ did it. Okay. If this isn't our reality, y'all, then all the ways of man are right in his own eyes. And we're a long way from being cleansed from our filthiness. Having therefore, beloved, these promises, let us cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Again, fellas, I, you know, I, I, wish, I, I wish we were talking about this in just a man setting because I'm really not trying to call you out in front of your wife. But for us to get real, that may be what it takes. And everybody said, oh, me. Okay, wives, you ready for some fun? Let me just talk to you wives. You young people still hanging with me? Okay. Wives, would your husband say that you reverence him as you do the Lord? Ephesians 5, you know, again, I, the, the whole reason that he brings up husbands and wives is to teach us that we're the bride of Christ. Because <laughs> he says in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Okay, okay. so yeah, you get to there and you go, oh, I thought you were talking to husbands and wives. Eh, and in verse 33, he, he says, I, okay, I was. Okay, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, talking to the husband, so love his wife, even as himself, and he kind of changes it. Hey, you know how you love yourself? Okay, love your wife like that. And the wife, let the wife see that she reverence her husband or that she give him the utmost respect. Well, what, what do you mean utmost respect? Okay, well, earlier in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse tw um, 22 and 23, he says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And if you want to know what it means to give him the utmost respect, it means that you treat him like you treat Christ. And man, I'm telling you, if the Bible didn't say that, I would have never thought that one up. I would have never had the audacity to say, okay, reverence your husband and follow his lead just like you do Christ's. Wow! <laughs> but you see, let, well, women, I wish you, what, what you could see is that those little rug rats that, that come out of your womb, you get the opportunity to show them how the church of Jesus Christ responds to the Lord by demonstrating that every single day in your home. And, and, and when you try to take the lead, oh, I know, listen, some of you, you love Jesus passionately. You probably love Jesus more than your husband does. And so because you love Jesus so passionately and you love his book so dearly, well, if he's not going to lead, then I am. And you whack it, man. 
the way that the book of Colossians, which is the twin epistle with Ephesians, the way that it says it is, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. There's a way that this marriage thing fits. And it does fit together into a beautiful, harmonious oneness. And it's very fitting as the husband takes the lead and the wife comes in subjection. And when it's happening the way that it's supposed to happen, women, you don't know that you've been called to submit. It's a beautiful, harmonious oneness. But... When you try to take the lead over your husband, it's like this. And your kids are growing up with a distorted view of Christianity. And they don't know what to do with it. And listen, I do not say, so for your kids' sake, Reverence your husband as you do Christ. I say to you, for Christ's sake, reverence your husband the same way that you do Christ. Because there is something bigger. As much as I love my kids and my grandkids, there's something bigger. <laughs> and it's the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's called us to. This is... It's personal holiness, y'all. That's what we're talking about. Okay. And then, now you get your little fun in the sun. <laughs> Young people, okay. I know I'm old. I get that. And I know that you don't have any idea what I've said for the last half hour. Okay. <laughs> but let me just talk to you for just a second. The, the Bible tells you, okay, well, let me start with the, the, the question. Would your parents say that you obey them in all things with your attitude and your actions? Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things. Listen, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. In Ephesians, again, the twin epistle with Colossians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And he goes on to talk about, if you don't do it right, he'll kill you early. Okay. <laughs> and I'm, I wish I was kidding about that. But, but I, I do want to just say to you, listen. I get it. You're, you know, you're, you're coming of age, and you know, you're growing up, and that's, that's cool. But listen, if you really want to walk with God in holiness, your attitude is, I, and I know you get sick of hearing the word attitude, don't you? You know, that whole roll in the eyes thing when they took. Okay, that wouldn't be what God would look at and refer to as obeying your parents in all things because your attitude plays into obedience. And it's an attitude and it is an action, man. There is something that God is actually looking for. And listen, what he wants is he wants you to learn how to respond to authority. You know, that's why he gave you the parents that he gave you is because if you can learn to obey them, you can learn to obey him. And that's what he's really after. But listen, for the life of you, please do not deceive yourself by thinking that you're obeying God and you're not obeying your parents. Or if you've copped some kind of crazy attitude toward your parents and you think that you're pleasing God, I just got to tell you, you're deceiving yourself. And part of you being a holy young person of God called and bought by his blood is you learning to respond to the authority of your parents. There, there's this guy in the Bible that was a centurion, which means he was a soldier that had 
at least 100 people that followed him. And they were under his authority. And he comes to Jesus because his kid is sick. And Jesus is having this conversation with him. And, and, and you know, he says, man, my kid is sick. You know? And Jesus says, okay, well, cool. I'll go with you. And, and I'll go healing. And he says, oh, hey, you don't have to go, man. I get this. Just say the word. And what he says, he says six words that I'd love for you to take with you. He says, I am a man under authority. This is Matthew chapter 8 and verse 9. Listen, fellas, you should always be able to say, I am a guy under authority. Young ladies, you should always be able to say, I am a girl under authority. And just like the centurion was able to do, to be able to look Jesus in the eye and be able to say to him at any time, I'm a guy under authority. I'm a woman or I'm a girl under authority. Because if you can learn to obey your parents, you are well on your way to pleasing God. But it is very displeasing to God when your attitude and your actions are not in line with what God says in his word about obeying them. All right, you know, I know that tonight is, you know, there was no wow factor tonight, was there? And and you know what, y'all? In my old age, I'm getting kind of, tired of wowing people with the Bible. There's plenty to get wowed about. But what I found out is sometimes it's potato chips, man. Tastes really good. Just doesn't do anything for you except make you fat. And, and so tonight was uh, meat and potatoes. You, you remember, those of you that knew me from the old days, I, I'm not big into Amish food because they can only season with salt and pepper, you know? It's like, okay, can we not do something? Can we throw bacon or <laughs> something on this to, to bring it to life? And I, I get it, this was Amish cooking tonight, man. And, uh, and yet, in my estimation, it's probably the most important night. Because holiness is not about coming to church and getting a buzz. It's about seeing the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's called us to, and saying, oh God, make me like you. And so I want to ask you, for just a second, to bow your head with me. And I just want to ask you tonight, to genuinely do business with God. We we covered a a lot of things, y'all, that are just basic to Christianity that somehow have become, become lost in the 21st century, but this is what God has called us to. And so listen, if, if the Lord talked to you tonight about some particular area in your life, what I want you to do is I want you to take just a, a minute to talk to him about what he talked to you about. And then Pastor Jeff will, will close.